Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. I'm your host, Brandi Jackson, and this week I sit down with Kelly Hester, the Clemson women's head golf coach, and talk a little bit about her somewhat unique journey through becoming a college coach and the different programs that she has been at over the years and how she ended up at Clemson and just the the journey she's been on through that, some of the hurdles she has overcome, um, some of the different players that she has, has coached at the different programs, and just what she sees that it takes to be a successful student athlete, um, as well as a coach, and just some of the ups and the downs that, that have been part of her journey um, that have led her there to Clemson. So excited to share this episode with you and hope you will enjoy um, hearing, hearing some uh, good insight from Coach Kelly Hester. You're listening to the Tap into College Golf podcast, where we provide an inside look at the world of college golf. College recruiting consultant Brandy Jackson shares her knowledge of college recruiting, plus interviews with some of the most accomplished coaches and players in college golf. If you are ready to tap into the best tips, stories, and insight, then you've come to the right place. Here's your host, Brandy Jackson. Welcome to this episode of Tap Into College Golf. I am excited today to have Coach Kelly Hester from Clemson University, the women's head coach here, um, joining me, actually sitting here with her today. So excited to um, chat with her a little bit just about kind of what got her into coaching and, you know, just her um, experience with um, with coaching over the last, how many years has it been now? I don't know, 20-something. Okay. Um, just learn a little bit about her coaching experience and, and college golf in general and share some of that insight and some good stories with you all. So thanks for joining, and thanks for um, for joining me here, Coach Hester. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, first about your kind of background and playing background and then what led you into coaching. Um, so you played at played at UGA, played professionally for a little while, and then um, just kind of go through where um, you had been at Mercer and UNLV and then at Arkansas for five years where you had the team had five wins and then UGA um, for five years with four wins and then at my alma mater, uh, Furman, for four years and now been here at Clemson this year, third year now. Is that right? Third season. That's third, right. Perfect. And already had two wins as a team. Is that right, since you got here? That's right. All right. Very cool. Um, so tell me a little bit, I guess, just about kind of some of those transitions. Um, actually, first, we're gonna, I'm backtrack a little bit. What got you into college coaching first? What, from out of playing, um, what first led you into becoming a college coach? Well, in my years of playing at UGA, I, I played fortunate enough to play for the legendary coach, Beans Kelly, and she used to tell me all the time as a player, you'd be a good coach, you'd be a good coach, and I'd say, I don't want to be a coach, I want to be a player, and she would just nod her head, and um, so I did. I, I, was a, I wasn't an All-American, I was an All-Conference player in the SEC, which was, you know, I mean, I was a good player, I had a lot of top 20s, um, no wins, a good number of top 10s, but... Um, I was a good college player, not a great college player. And um, as things usually go, my coach was wiser than I was. So after a couple of years on the, at that time, the, the Futures Tour, the Symmetra Tour, I was fortunate enough to play in the U.S. Open. And, um, but I, I evaluated my own game and decided that it was probably not in the cards for me to win on the Futures Tour. I didn't miss a single cut in two years out there. But I also wasn't in the hunt a lot. And that gave me enough time to kind of end on my own terms, um, but uh, look towards what was next. And I was fortunate enough to, to get a, 
a coaching job at Mercer University as a head coach in my hometown of Macon, Georgia. I was very young, 24 years old, actually had a girl on the team that was older than I was um, who was working on a master's degree, and I literally had no idea what I didn't know. Um, if I had known what I was getting into, I probably would have been more nervous about it, but uh, I just jumped right in there and did the best I could with what I had, and that was a pretty small budget and a very small salary. Um, but I decided, you know what, I think this is what I want to do. And from there, Beans offered me to come work for her and be her assistant coach. So that was the difference in $6,000 a year and uh, I think $37,000 a year to go from being the head coach at Mercer to being the assistant at Georgia. Um, along the way, I got engaged and um, Sometimes your personal life kind of gets in the way there, but um, so my uh, my fiance and I decided, all right, well you go you go to Athens, and he stayed in Macon, and um, that was sort of an interesting year there where we were trying to plan a wedding, and I made the jump back to Georgia, but um, a few years at Georgia and um, and a coaching change, Beans retired, and I stayed and worked for. Um, a guy named Todd McCorkle, mm -hmm. who had just won a national championship at Arizona. Um, I think Beans felt like she had prepared me for the job and thought I was going to get it, but I was very young, what, like 26 or, you know, 27, somewhere around there. And so I did interview for the job but didn't get it. Um, and I stayed and worked for Todd for about six months. Um, that year, Georgia did win the national championship right after I left. But, um, but I decided um, – Maybe it was time to venture out, so uh, I applied for, interviewed for, and got a job at UNLV to start the women's golf team there, and it was such a great opportunity. Um, but here, as newlyweds, my husband and I loaded up from Georgia, moved all the way to Las Vegas, started that women's team, and it wasn't a deal where they said, oh, we'll hire you two years in advance to build the program. I started in February, and we needed to have a team that August. So uh, that was definitely, uh, you know, challenging yeah, to say the least. Is, yeah. But um, I called my West Coast buddies over at Southern Cal and UCLA and asked them who their leftovers were and started from there. And um, really, it was um, such a great opportunity to be in a different part of the country. Mm -hmm. And um, Vegas is great for golf. There were 50 golf courses within 50 square miles of campus. That's um, so we started that team, and I think in their second year, they won the conference um, and finished second at the East Regional. So nice. uh, pretty amazing stuff. Like, we were able to get some good players and do some great, great things there. I didn't stay long. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Arkansas, and that was really more of a personal move at the time. I know right now Arkansas has a great golf team, mm -hmm. but at the time they were maybe not inside the top 100. Um, at the bottom of the SEC – and a relatively new program. I think it was only seven or eight years in to the golf team. And um, it felt a little bit like career suicide. Um, but my husband made it pretty clear he didn't love living in Las yeah. Vegas. And we were in a pretty new marriage. And I thought... I'd keep him um, happy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, t I told my boosters we had a great group of women who would help start the program. And I said, if I was single, I'd stay. But if I stay, I'll be single. Yeah. And I'm not really sure... <laughs> At this stage, I'm ready to ready punt on a marriage. So, um, so we we loaded up and moved to Arkansas, and they were, like I said, right around 100 in the yeah. rankings. And um, 
I thought, oh Lord, this is going to be a challenge. But uh, I was really blessed to end up with some good players, um, one of whom is Stacy Lewis, yeah. who obviously <laughs> has turned uh, yeah, into a pretty good player a, there. A great yeah. player. But even before Stacy, we had a we had a player named Amanda McCurdy who oh, yeah. lost in the finals of the U.S. U.S. Amateur. Mm -hmm. So she was a Curtis Cupper. She's from El Dorado, Arkansas. Um, so we had several good players that helped us build that program. And um, in my last year there, we had already played in two national championships, finished 10th and 11th, and then Stacy won as an individual. Mm -hmm. So in my five years there, uh, Shauna Estes Taylor, who's the coach there now, she'd come on board as my assistant and was there with me most of the first five years. And then she's continued the yeah, great work there. Great, yeah. So uh, after Stacy won her natty, I got a phone call from Georgia to uh, return home and interview for the head coaching job and um, was fortunate enough to get that. In the meantime, I had a 12-week-old daughter. Oh. And um, so we loaded up and moved back to Georgia. And quite honestly, it's where I thought I would finish my career. Yeah. I thought that would be, um, you know, where I could – work hard and have a great team and ride off in the sunset. And um, we did good work there. We were, I think, never ranked outside the top 20 and um, recruited and coached a player, Marta Silva, who was a national player of the year, had a bunch of All-Americans. Um, but as sometimes happens in college athletics, uh, my contract wasn't renewed at the yeah. end of the fifth year. I think at the time we were ranked ninth in one ranking and 12th in the next, and it just I just, it just, yeah. it just yeah. didn't seem quite right, um, but uh, it was one of those points in your life, and now I can talk about adversity with my players mm -hmm. and how to deal with it. There was definitely some adversity there, um, and I had a choice to either stay in coaching or, or get out, mm -hmm. and um, I thought maybe I just want to go work at a bank where I just have very <laughs> less transactional yeah. relationships with people. Um, it is each, a little less stressful, I'm each, sure, yeah. Each coaching stop takes a piece of you. You know, you just uh, pour into your players and the people around you, and, and it's hard to leave. Um, but fortunately for me, I, I never even skipped a paycheck. The Furman position came open, and um, Furman had at one time been a great program, as you know, uh, really a powerhouse in women's mm -hmm. college golf. But in the more recent years, they had fallen off. And each year it kind of dropped about 10 spots in the ranking or so. So I think they were around 85 when I got there. Um, and a, a wonderful, terrific, amazing group of women boosters mm -hmm. who had played golf there, Beth Daniel, Betsy King, Dottie Pepper, um, and Cindy Davis, who yeah. at the time was president of Nike Golf, really wanted to see the program get to back, get back to where it had been. And they put their faith and trust in me at a time that I really needed somebody to put their faith and trust yeah. in me. I was uh, literally contemplating getting out of college coaching. So, um, so we get to we get to Furman, and we have a lot of work to do. But those kids did it, and we just yeah. got better and better and better and better. And um, in that time, had you know some All Americans and got back to the national championship. And uh, I think at one time ranked as high as fifth or sixth. Um, so my four years at Furman were great. And it was a wonderful experience for me because it was a different type of situation. I mean, Furman, 1,200 students, um, 
average class size is like seven or eight or yeah. something crazy like it's that. It's a so. little, little different environment than your Georgia's in Arkansas and, and now here at Clemson for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So you had to find a student who really wanted to pursue that yeah. academic excellence in addition to the golf excellence. Um, and you would think it was hard, but it was actually pretty easy because if they came in on a visit, you could tell yeah, just in yeah. talking to them if it was for them or not for them. And I actually passed on some kids who I really liked and would have loved to have coached, but I could just tell yeah. Thurman wasn't going to be the best fit for them. But when you found somebody who it was the best fit for, it was like magic. Yeah. And that's what we experienced in my time there. Um, so after four years, the opportunity came about to come here to Clemson. And um, deep down, I wanted to not like it. I wanted to just stay in my little Furman <laughs> magic <The> bubble, bubble <laughs> and, um, and, and raise my daughter, who, yeah. uh, you know, by that time was, um, was nine or ten. Yeah. And um, we lived close to campus, and life was good, and things were great. Um, but sure enough, I actually did really like it here at Clemson, and um, and I felt like it was a great opportunity for for hopefully Jeff Hull, who had been my assistant at Georgia and at Furman, to get that job um, because he had been a part of that total rebuilding process, and then for for me to you know get to get in pretty much on the ground floor. Yeah. Um, Clemson had only had three years under its belt. So um, so we made the move, and so the rest is history, and um, all of a sudden I've been a head coach at six different schools, yeah. um, four of whom we've been fortunate enough to take to a national championship. Um, so I just feel very blessed to have had as many opportunities as I've had. Um, and the intention was never to move and go and yeah. build and grow, but it just sort of happens that way, and that just shows you how you just never know what your journey is going to be. Um, if you had told me uh, at any point in time in my playing career or early coaching career that I would one day be at Clemson, yeah. I would be like, how do you even get there? They yeah. don't even have a women's golf yeah. team. So uh, it just shows you that um, that sometimes God's provision for you is very different than your than own, what you think. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. own plans. And we're busy making all these plans, and at the end of the day, none of them really matter. But, um, but this is certainly a great spot to end up. Well, you know, I have, while I'm a Furman Paladin, obviously I have a, a few reasons to like Clemson, and that's my, feels like my second home growing up was, was here at Clemson, so I don't in any way blame you for that, for that move, and yeah, the, the Furman environment, such a different one that it, um, I loved it, loved my experience there, the academic side of it, and the smaller environment was awesome, but you also got to love that thrill of, you know, Clemson football games, and it's just, just different, it's for different players, and obviously what I do with recruiting, it's, it's trying to kind of help figure out which, you know, which players will thrive in the different environments, because it's, those two are definitely not comparing apples to apples, even though the golf programs are very, um, you know, very similar in terms of a ranking perspective, it's a different very different in school environments. Um, well, what, um, you know, talking about getting into coaching in, in those initial kind of years, what were some of the things, some of the, um, obviously know a little bit about some of the hurdles and lessons, but what was some things that you do wish you had known back then that you do know now that might have changed some of those first few years of, of coaching? Or maybe even some of the players you worked with and stuff. Obviously, when we all start out with stuff, we wish that, you know, what we knew now, we could have taught those initial players. But what were some things that, um, that you've learned since then? Well, I think the longer you do anything, but I can speak for myself in coaching, 
Um, the, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> As you become older and um, you would think that you would know more over time and you do learn a lot, but you become more aware of what you don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I would say in those early years, I was probably a little more controlling and um, less trusting of my players because I had, it wasn't that yeah, far yeah. removed that I had been a player. And um, what I've learned about kids is I, I feel like the, the more you give them, the more they can handle um, for the most part. And occasionally you'll give somebody enough rope to hang themselves. But, um, but I think that this generation um, does well with trust and they appreciate being trusted. Um, I'm not a micromanager. Uh, and I, I, I know the players that work best in my coaching system, if you will, are the ones who are intrinsically motivated, who want to get better, and who love the game. Um, even if they're not a top, top talent, um, I can help a kid get better who wants to get better and who loves golf. And um, so I, I've gotten better at kind of trusting my gut in the recruiting process. Uh, you don't always just go by the numbers, although this is an empirical game and, and the numbers are important. Um, you know, I I've learned to trust the little red flags that might pop up in a conversation or in an interaction with a, a student and their family. And I've learned to understand my limitations as a mm -hmm. coach. Um, I think the tendency might be at times to save people or whatnot. And um, at the end of the day, we need kids who want to work hard and want to get better and you know, who, who come from a pretty good set of values. Um, so I've just learned to trust that more as I've gotten older in coaching. That, um, that makes sense. And, and, yeah, like I said, I think anybody would, would kind of agree. I know for me, you know, I'm eight years into doing this, and I look back at some of the initial players that I had and how much I've learned since then, and you kind of feel like, gosh, if you did, you know, know what you knew now for those initial players. But at the same time, they all went on to, to do pretty well too. So I think it's just always going to be that feeling, I think, that, like, there's always more to learn and you're always hopefully getting better. And, and when you look back, you know, even just a couple of years before you realize how much more you've learned in those couple of years that then helps that next, you know, next set of players. Um, if not, I guess I kind of feel like we're not really doing something, not doing what we should be doing, if not, I guess. That's right. So what do you think are some of the things that it does take to be a successful college coach? Um, I mean, I know that's a kind of broad thing, but what are some things that you feel like um, are just some key things um, to, to see in that success, both, you know, within being the coach and then also, you know, those players and what they take away from it? I would say um, the coaches who I, I like to watch my peers and especially mm -hmm. those who are successful and, um, and learn from them. And, and some of the best that I've seen are what I would call servant leaders, meaning um, this isn't like a top-down hierarchy um, you know, I, I think that uh, some kids have been coached so heavily before they ever get here, um, and they just want you to tell them what to do. But I believe the best way to get better is to have an interactive process with your students of, you know, performance and evaluation and improvement. And that needs to be a two-way communication. So um, the coaches who, who are more servant leaders um, – you know, have an approach of, of they're not going to ask their kids to do anything they're not willing to do themselves. Um, they're going to walk, you know, side by side with you through your entire process of getting better. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not scared to get their hands dirty. Yeah. Um, 
So I value that. I look to coaches like Tony Dungy, who had written some books on it when I was coming along, and, and Pat Summit, um, Mike Krzyzewski. These are mm -hmm. coaches who weren't golf at all, but I just looked at their success, and those are the types of things that they talked about in how to how to be with your team. And that was what was modeled by my coach, Beans, as well. And um, I think, you know, this just isn't a profession where you need to expect to be right all the time. And um, I, I've kind of given up my desire to have the last word or to be yeah. right. And I think that, um, I think kids appreciate that, um, especially the type of, you have to have the right type of kid. I don't do great with kids that want to be policed. Um, I'm just not going to, it's just not the relationship I want to have with my mm -hmm. players where I'm policing their behavior. Um, but when you have the right type of student who does want to really learn and grow and improve, I think they really appreciate that process and are able to take more ownership in their own success. Um, and, uh, you know, Heather Bowie Young, my assistant coach, came straight from the tour into coaching. And so she says, she, she's, she's like, that's one of your sayings. Like every once in a while things will pop up. And um, you would think it's more common sense than anything, like treat people the way you would want to be treated um, with respect and, and whatnot. But uh, I, there's no magic pixie dust. Yeah. Um, I just think that you, you develop relationships with kids and, um, and you, you, you develop trust. And before you know it, all of a sudden – kids are working hard and getting better and they're doing it because they want to, not because they're doing it for a coach or a parent or for anybody else. Um, and that's really what I've seen and, and what I think is important in coaching. Yeah. I, I, I love that. It's, um, it, you know, it is, like I said, those relationships, especially when you are talking about, you know, these are getting into being you know, college age kids who in some cases, the same age people, you know, have gotten jobs and, and got the responsibility. So it's that balance of treating them, like adults, but at the same time, so much still kind of kid-like in so many ways because they are just, you know, first time they're away from their parents and, you know, not wanting to be their their next mom, but at the same time, you know, trying to, you know, trying to find that balance of that relationship with them where they don't look at you as just another, you know, authority figure, but with enough authority to, you know, to know where the lines are drawn and, and what they need to be doing and know that they are still the, you know, the, the athlete and you're the coach. And I'm sure that's a... Um, an interesting line sometimes, I guess. Um, which, speaking of the the different, you know, the, the college athletes, what do you see is some of the biggest struggle for some of the athletes when they get to college and in that transition and just over time? What do you see as some of the biggest struggles that they have? Well, I would say that, um, you know, we're recruiting pretty high-level junior players who have had a good amount of success. And a lot of times when they get to college, they have – more opportunities to do other things that they've never done before and they don't have their time micromanaged. And um, we talk to our freshmen a lot about like, what's your why? Why do you do this? What's your motivation? Where do you wanna go? How do you wanna get there? Uh, even what do you want your legacy to be? Because to me, those are the types of things that are gonna fuel you on a daily basis. Um, everybody's gonna get to a point where they're tired and they got a lot on their plate they're not sure where to go or what to do and how to get there. And that's when you really have to understand what your motivation is. And, um, you know, and, and that's different for everybody. So I encourage um, parents 
and kids before they get to college. You need to learn how to do the little things right, do your laundry, manage your time. Um, you know, the social media deal is a whole <laughs> aspect that yeah. we didn't deal with growing up. Um, but these kids need to be mature enough to know, you know, what they can do, what they need to do. And we talk to them a lot about if you do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, then you get to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And you're not living in the urgent. I think a lot of college kids live in the urgent and they're always taking care of what they absolutely have to take care of. Um, and so you need to be pretty mature and learn what your priorities are before you get to college. And maybe now is a time that you figure some of that out and that's okay. Um, but uh, the ones that have learned to manage their time and make good mm -hmm. decisions, once again, it comes down to strong values. Uh, I'm not really going to change a kid's values when they get yeah. to college. Those are already established. Um, and there may be a time that I would pass on a kid who's a really good player simply because I'm not sure they would fit in with the same set of values and character principles that we look for here on our team because I'm not going to be begging somebody to practice. Yeah. If they're doing it for me, they're doing it for the wrong reasons. That's um... – uh, and I think that's where you, st you definitely start to see in, in with working with the junior players and the, the recruiting side of stuff of trying to help them figure out. I just had a situation not so long ago with a player of, you know, just because they might be a good player where, you know, what is their why for who they're playing for and what their priorities are. It doesn't mean that, you know, they have to go to that elite level. Um, there's so many other opportunities just based off of, you know, of what their priorities are, but they need to figure that out. And it's what I try to help with. It's like you said, sometimes you don't figure that out until you get to college and you think you want something and, you know, you do get there and you realize it's maybe not what you thought it was going to be or your priorities do change. Um, but trying to kind of figure that out as much as you can and trying to get to the root of why are you playing and, and who are you playing for and all those things can help so much in that transition to, you know, to getting in the right environment when it comes to college. Um, and then being able to thrive from there and not having – it's going to be a struggle for no, no matter what, especially those freshmen. Um, it just made that transition a little bit better. Um, well, tell me a little bit about what, you know, through all the, the, the coaching and, and being at several different places, what's been one of your most rewarding – coaching moment that you can remember? Hmm, most rewarding. Um, well, the easy answer is you have a player like Stacy Lewis who, um, you know, was not even the best player on her high school golf team, um, undergoes scoliosis surgery. We never even know if she's going to play golf again. Um, and then she goes on to have this unbelievable college golf career, but is still not the very best. She was never the best player in women's college golf, but then the pinnacle is she ends up being the LPGA player of the year, and she's won two majors, but um, but what's even cooler to me, I actually just talked to Stacy's mom this week, um, and we were talking about how she's become this trailblazer for moms yes. on tour, yes. that the USGA recently issued her an invitation for the U.S. Open. Um, she had asked for an invitation, and they denied it. Oh, okay. Um, and I think somebody on the USGA board <laughs> uh, had a conversation with some folks and they were kind of like, wait, what you're doing is basically telling someone because they had a, a baby, baby. Yeah. they're not going to yeah, be able that's, to, that's true. to compete. And so um, long story short, they did end up issuing an invitation. And, um, and this comes from a shy little girl who literally looked like she was 13 yeah. when she was a freshman in college. 
um, who was a middle child, who always had a chip on her shoulder, who was never the best, woe is me, terrible body language at time on the golf court, times on the golf course, but an incredible family unit who, you know, they rallied around each other. If Stacy ever was out of line, her mom or dad got to her before I ever had a chance. Um, but I tell recruits all the time, I know you think that you're only going to be a top college player if you're a top junior player yeah. and if you're recruited by the top schools or blah, 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 whatever. And here comes Stacy, not recruited by many people, literally changed the trajectory of Arkansas women's golf um, and uh, like went someplace, made a huge difference, and then her legacy has been she's given back um, and then she's paving the way for women who want to play on tour and have babies. So that's probably the easy answer. Um, I mean, it's a pretty good answer, though, but, I would say. Uh, but, yeah. but I am so much more proud of Stacy the mom yeah. um, than Stacy the, the player uh, because she was not an easy kid who had things given to her ever. No one would have ever, ever predicted the success that she's had and I say that to all those kids out there who maybe their career hasn't gone the way they want up to this point. Um, but the goal is always to be the best 28-year-old, not the best 13 or 14 yeah. or 15-year-old, and just to keep getting better. And that's what she did. She just kept getting better every day. Every day, year after year, before you know it, you're the best player in the world. And um, pretty amazing coming from someone who was never meant to be there. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's um, that's very, very cool, and I can see why it's so rewarding because you do, you get so many players who are comparing themselves to where they are, you know, at that time, and I'm sure from your own experience, just like mine, some of the best junior players didn't. I mean, we had the number one number one ranked player in junior golf come in with me at Furman, and then by our sophomore year, she wasn't even traveling and just struggled, ended up not even playing by the time we were done. And, I mean, she was all world coming in, and then some of the best – all-American collegiate players never even made it past one year maybe playing professionally. And I got out there on tour with some of these girls that had gone to schools that I'd never even heard of who are winning event, you know, at least especially with, you know, Futures Tour events and, and getting LPGA status. And they had gone to these, you know, smaller programs, but they just – they loved the game and they wanted to play. And they had, you know, not necessarily that chip on their shoulder, but just that, that, you know, that extra little bit that um, – you know, just trying to always, I said, just always getting better. And it's not always coming from the best program or the best junior player and, and or even, like, you know, you know, if you don't have the best freshman year in college, it doesn't mean that's, you know, if you weren't All-American and All-Star your freshman year, it doesn't mean you can't, you know, get better your sophomore year. And it's, it's a lot of what I did. I mean, I, freshman, sophomore year was a major struggle for me and then just gradually got better. And then by junior, senior year, um, and it's, it's just always funny to see the, the different roots that, that everybody comes from. Um, and so very, very cool about Stacy to know. I mean, I've read some different stuff, and I knew it had been, um, you know, with the, the scoliosis and all that. But um, just to, you know, know that how much she had done for Arkansas and all that is pretty cool. And, yeah, I just saw that about the U.S. Open, which is um, – which is very cool, both her and uh, and Brittany, I guess, right? Did right. they both get it? Because um, that's um, really cool. Very, very good to know that they're they're looking out for that. Because yeah, I'm sure a lot of people out there don't think about that from a you know when you're a lot of people don't think about those little things from playing professional golf as opposed to a regular job where you get maternity leave and those kinds of things. Right. Well, so. and the, and the USGA is actually reevaluating all of their invitation nice. and exemption policies now. So that's the bigger picture here. Very like, cool. 
like not just Stacy is going to benefit from this, but people for years yeah, uh, yeah. will benefit because she was willing to go out there and take a stand and 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 just ask. I'm sure other people have asked in the past. Um, there were a lot of people that came before her, but for whatever reason, now's the time that yeah. the USGA is going to really take a good hard look at this for all of their championships. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, that was a little bit of kind of the most rewarding. Um, I think we've talked about probably some of your more challenging just with some of the transitions, but what's one of the, the funniest stories from recruiting or coaching um, that you've had? What's a really good funny story that, that you can share, I guess? Uh, there might be some that you can't share. I know there's some funny stories from college golf and playing on tour that might not would, would ever share, but what's a, um, anything that stands out? Gosh, I don't know. There's, uh, I mean, funny things happen every I'm day. I'm sure it does. When you got a group time. of girls with, with personalities, I'm sure. Um. We, uh, a tradition that I have with um, with my teams passed down from my coach. Uh, so there's a theme there. She, she obviously had a huge impact on me, but we always do a Halloween tournament. Um, I've seen and, some of those pictures. Uh, it's early in the fall. And for years, like if you go back, all of my teams have done it. And um, probably one of my funniest Funniest examples would be uh, Taylor Totlin, who was a player at Furman, and uh, just uh, actually she was a gift. She had committed to the previous coach and and was a good junior player, not a great junior player, but came into Furman and and really was the the, the big difference mm-hmm. in turning that program around. But Taylor is just a, a real unique kid from New Jersey and. Um, funny without meaning to be funny if you know people like that yeah but she yeah. dressed up as a sumo sumo wrestler. i do i was that said thought that's where you're going with that i remember pictures and from her stuff and everything yeah she I'm was sure. a sumo wrestler one year and it was like one of the funniest things i've ever seen yeah. in my entire life is to see her try to dress up and be a sumo wrestler and then the thing is we play a we play a little tournament you got to actually swing in your yeah. costume and for her to do that in that costume was probably one of the funniest things i've ever seen and um, as often happens with my players, they have a, they have a strong influence on my child. My daughter, Vivi Hester is 12 now. And so she wanted to be a sumo wrestler for Halloween. Um, so then she got the costume and then they had the matching sumo wrestling, uh, deal. But I don't know, that probably goes down as one of my most memorable, um, things, but year after year, it's always fun to see how these kids, you know, they don't really get to be kids, I feel like. They're too busy adulting or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so we do that. We do an Easter egg hunt. Um, I've had kids who had never hunted for Easter eggs until they came to college. And so uh, those are some of the fun things that we do that, that turn into fun memories. And I'm not sure if you really remember exactly where you finish at different events and things like that. But I do think you remember those snapshots of uh, somebody dressed up as a sumo wrestler trying to swing a golf club and yeah. somebody taking somebody else out trying to get an Easter egg. So that's a that's a way I try to incorporate being a kid and playing and having fun into what has actually grown into a pretty big business of college athletics. Yeah, it's good to have that balance because um, there is there's both sides of the, the stress. And, and like I said, it's almost like you're coming into a full-time job. I mean, it's... Um, and I know it's only gotten more intense and more scrutiny and more, you know, eyeballs on you, like I said, with social media and just the, the business side of it that it's become, that it is good to, to see them have fun with it and, and get that little bit of kind of break to do some, some things like that. So that's um, very cool to, to have that. Um, well, just a, a little bit more and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But 
I know we've got instructors out here that I'm sure are listening, parents, players. So I've got two more questions I um, wanted to ask you while, while we're chatting here. Um, is what do you feel like, um, you know, if there are instructors and swing coaches who have junior players who are listening, um, you know, what advice to them to help those players be I know, I know we've talked about this before. There's only so much you can do to prepare for college golf. It's going to be a tough transition. You know, there's only so much you can do. But what can some of the instructors who have junior players um, – I get a lot of them asking me about college recruiting and stuff like that, but what can they be aware of that can help them better prepare their students for, for college golf and, you know, just for being better players overall? Um, I know you get some that are a little more swing-oriented and, and some that's their – job is more hourly lessons and they don't have, you know, maybe the time to commit to what a college coach gets to commit with a junior player. What are some things they can be aware of? Um, I would say, you know, the number one thing I think that teachers can do to help prepare kids for college is helping them understand ball flight um, and cause and effect in the golf swing. Um, And even if they don't understand those general principles, at least help them understand what it means for them. Meaning when I hit it left, it's because I do this. When I hit it right, it's because I do that. And then understanding what their tendencies are um, so that they can learn to self-diagnose. We run into a good number of kids who have never had to think for themselves because they've had so much access to instruction, maybe an academy kid um, or just somebody who had a lot of resources and was able to communicate a lot with a teacher. And all of that is good. but I think we, our end goal is for these students to take ownership of their game. And that's empowering. When you know that you're on the golf course and if things start to go a little haywire, you have control over how to correct it. Um, and I think uh, you'll see the kids in junior golf who look back at mom and dad as soon as yeah. something bad happens to, you know, they don't know what to do during the headlights. And um, I'm sure there are players on tour that do the same. Um, but our, our hope and desire for them in college golf is that they become their own best coach. Um, I've done my job if I'm not really needed during a tournament round of golf, as funny as that sounds. I think it's like a parent's role. You've done your job when your kid feels yeah, like they yeah. have the answers in a good way. Yeah, yeah. Um, like our job is to make ourselves not needed um, yeah. to some degree. And so I think that's where confidence comes from. And uh, the more a teacher is able to help a player understand their own tendencies and cause and effect. Um, You know, TrackMan's great, and we do take it on the road with us, but it is not the only tool that we use. I would rather the girls understand their ball flight. You know, we put a stick out in front of them, and you need to start it right of the stick with a little draw or start it left of the stick with a little fade and understand what you need to do in your golf swing to do that. Um, I think, like I said, is empowering. And that's the best way a college, um, a, 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 an instructor can help a, a upcoming college player prepare. Yeah, like I said, I, I, you know, I, I deal a good bit, I'm sure you as well, with the different instructors and swing coaches. And, um, and, and again, I know everybody's a little different with their time commitment with the junior players based off of their role you know, as instructors or swing coaches and whether they're full-time academy or if they're more less, you know, teaching lessons and all that. Um, it's just a good bit of what I get asked, even from the junior players and their parents, you know, are we with a good instructor? Do we need to switch? You know, we, you know, this, their player has this goal, but obviously it takes that, that guidance to help get them there. Um, and so what better to, you know, to 
to help kind of connect those dots than what the, the college coach is going to be looking for when those players get there. Well, and along that same note, we had a freshman this year say that she changed teachers because this teacher was going to take her game to the next level. And Heather quickly said, no teacher is going to take you to the next yeah. level. That is on your shoulders. Yeah, um, and I do think that even the same expectation can be when a player comes to college. Like, this coach is going to get me there. And it's like, I mean, I, I appreciate that type of confidence. But yeah. at the end of the day, um, these, only so much you can do. Right. I mean, we, we can – we can certainly provide um, opportunities and and be there to help support and guide. But at the end of the day, the kids that are willing to get dirt, get their hands dirty and jump in there and say, if it's going to be, it's up to me, um, those are the ones that are going to really, uh, I think, thrive yeah. in this type of environment. Well, it's part of the – it's the other side to the conversation. Like I said, when I get the um, the parents or the players asking me about instructors, and I always say a lot of times it's a – it's a it's a two way street that you you know if you don't feel like you're getting better sometimes you got to ask yourself is it you know is it as much you know you as the player that's not doing what you're supposed to be doing or you're not taking ownership of the things your instructor's telling you to do or maybe even are you willing to do the extra that you know to to work on a short game or come up with drills or learn those things you know where is it um, can't always put the blame on the instructor coach side of things for not getting everything that you need if you're not taking advantage of it or, you know, even going above and beyond on your own side of things to, to try to get better. Um, I said it always is a tough situation when they, the parents come to me asking me about, you know, well, we're with this instructor, but we heard this one does this and this, you know, and just trying to always kind of filter through that. Um, so it's always an interesting, interesting scenario, interesting transition sometimes with that. Right. Um, well, that, a lot of times, some of our the questions that I was going to ask you get answered in a different way, um, which we managed to do with a few things. Um, I guess before I ask kind of my last question that I, I like to ask all the coaches, just based off of what the the title of this podcast is, is there anything else to just share, like I said, between parents? Hopefully, we got some juniors who are, are out there listening as well, but I'm sure some swing coaches and instructors, um, probably mostly parents, just I'm sure listening, which is most of who I feel like I talk to for the most part. Um, anything um, that you you know want to share or advice or anything like that before we kind of wrap this up? I would just say that um, I have people ask what I think is the biggest indicator of success in college, yeah. and. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's the one thing it's really hard to test for. If I could find a test for it, I would market it and probably yeah. make a lot of money. But Well, I actually um, did have that as a question, but it's always such a hard <laughs> one to answer. So I've kind of learned that, like, that's such a tough one. But you actually see it on my questions here. So I said I asked more of the struggle on the other side. But right. what, yeah, what do you see is that? The biggest indicator, I think, in the kids who separate themselves in college and then on tour is heart. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, I would say of the players that I've coached that really improved um, and uh, regardless of where they started, just really improved a lot and made a difference um, was the, the amount of heart that they had and their own determination to improve and get better. Um, because we talk about Mr. Adversity coming and, uh, and he's always going to come and you need to be prepared for him when he, when he gets there. But the ones who are truly committed to themselves and, um, and, and they just display a tremendous amount of heart for improvement and for the game, those are the ones who, uh, who really separate themselves. And so 
Um, that's not really something a coach can can yeah, affect yeah. or change. But to me, that's what I've seen the difference maker um, be in the ones that 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 come and just go through the motions and sort of do what they're supposed to do and what's required. And the ones that come in and really buy in and are truly committed um, and they just really have a heart for it. I like that. I definitely like that. Um, all right. Well, to, to wrap this up, uh, like I said, I like to ask all of the coaches I have on here, um, you know, since this is called tap into college golf, um, what would you tell a player who's on the last hole to win, you know, ready to win a big event? Um, they've got a short putt left to win and you're there, you know, or, or maybe you're, maybe you've decided you wouldn't be there. You just really want to let them do it themselves. But if you are there, what would you tell them as they're getting ready to, to have that last putt on the last hole? I would tell them the same thing I tell my little junior campers in the summer when we're working on the putting green. It's an old, ancient Chinese proverb, no picky, make putty. Okay. Listen to hear it go in. Very cool. Okay. I like that. That's, um, that, I'm, I'm really excited to hear some different, um, different answers with that, but I like that. That, um, if nothing else, it probably re will relax you a little bit, I guess, too. So I guess that's got, um, that's, that's good. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today. Hope to, um, get a chance to catch up again. Sounds great. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tap Into College Golf. For more information, you can visit www.brandyjacksongolf.com. That's Brandy with an I. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at bjacksongolf. See you next time.